All right, so we're going to pick up this morning where Adam laid, laid out or left off and uh, pick up there uh, as we talk about and focus on experiencing the Holy Spirit. I am so humbled to have this opportunity to talk to you about this this morning uh, because this is an area that God has challenged me probably the most personally over the last couple years, uh, and I feel that I've had the most growth in this area uh, speaking about the Holy Spirit. So I'm very humbled, uh, and I ask that the Holy Spirit will journey with us this morning as we talk uh, about him and who he is and how to experience him. Uh, uh, Jonathan mentioned in his, uh, in his prayer there, he spoke about the Trinity, and I think it's important if we're going to really experience the Holy Spirit, we have to know uh, something about the Trinity, who the Trinity is. As we talk about, uh, if you're unfamiliar with the church, if you haven't grown up uh, going to church, the, the idea of the Trinity might be complicated to you. Even if you've been in the church for a while uh, and kind of grown up in it, you still might struggle with the idea of the Trinity. What is the Trinity? How do we understand it? Well, it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the reason I think that it's difficult for us to understand the relationship of this triune God How is it that we have one God, yet there's three parts to this God, three members? How is it possible? And I think it's difficult for us to understand because we struggle in our humanness, in our flesh, to really grasp perfect unity with another person. You might be really close to someone. Your spouse, hopefully, is the person that you're the closest to. But even between you and your spouse, there probably comes conflict every now and again. Every once in a while, there's probably conflict there. But in the members of the Trinity, between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, there is perfect unity. They speak for one another. They always are for each other. There is no conflict within the Trinity. And so that's why I think it's the hardest for us to understand. And I think for the church, there's so much within the church. You can go to different churches this morning, drive around just a few minutes, and you can find different churches that have different opinions about the Holy Spirit and how that works and how he is working. And it saddens me as a pastor, the amount of division that has come because of the Holy Spirit when his ministry is to bring unity within the church. And yet there's so much division over the idea of who the Holy Spirit is. And I think it's because we struggle to grasp who he is. And so This is why I'm so excited to be able to talk about this this morning. So here's something that I feel is very important. If you're going to experience the Holy Spirit, you need to know that he exists. If you're going to experience the Holy Spirit this morning, you have to know that he exists and that he is working. All right? Let's turn to the scriptures. Let's open our Bibles up. And we'll turn to what God's word has to say about the Holy Spirit. So we're going to be in John 14 here to start, and then we'll jump over to John 16. Uh, So John 14, it's uh, page 896 in those hardback Bibles in the pews there. Uh, If you don't have one, I'd welcome you to take that, open it up, and keep it for yourself if you would like. So I just want to read a few passages here, a few verses uh, from God's word, and then we will talk about them. So... John 14, verse 15. This is Jesus speaking here. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says, If you love me, verse 15, if you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Now, Adam went through what the advocate meant last week. He did a great job with that. If you didn't catch it, 
I'd ask you or invite you to, to listen online if you would like. So I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. Just think about that promise for a second. Jesus is saying to his disciples, the advocate, the Holy Spirit will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him. It doesn't acknowledge that he even exists and it doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Think about this concept of what Jesus is saying here. He is saying, I am leaving. I have to go, but I will send the advocate. I will send the Holy Spirit, and he will live in you. He will dwell inside of you. Later in the scripture, and Adam laid this out last week, he's described as a deposit inside of you, guaranteeing your salvation. So when you come to know Jesus Christ, put your faith in Christ, God says, you are part of my family. I'm giving you something that is so important to me. It's a deposit that guarantees that you are part of my family. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives and he is connected to God the Father in a way that God would never abandon himself, right? God will never abandon himself and the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. He will not abandon us as Jesus promises. As Jesus promises. So the Holy Spirit inside of us is evidence that something has happened. Evidence that we've become part of the family of God. Now, I want to jump into something that might uh, challenge your thinking and I love you enough to do this. I want to challenge your thinking this morning. So, belief in God, believing that Jesus came and died isn't enough. Let me say that again. Belief in God and believing that Jesus came and died isn't enough. Now, for some of you, you're looking at me like, wait a second. That's blasphemous. What did he just say? All right, stay with me here, all right? I'm not saying this to be provocative, but I want to spur you to think, all right? The Pharisees in Jesus' day, They believed in Jesus, they saw him, they knew who he was, they believed that he died on a cross, they actually made sure of it, right? The Pharisees actually made sure that Jesus went to the cross. The demons, the Bible says, believed in God, of course they did. They actually believed that Jesus was the son of God. How do we know that? Because when he spoke to them, they listened, because they knew who he was. But you see, this wasn't enough for them to drive them to repentance and salvation. It wasn't enough for them. So what does the scripture instruct us on this? How do we become children of God? How is it that the Holy Spirit comes inside and dwells in us? Well, the text tells us this. Paul says it, the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans. Maybe some of you have memorized this before, but I emphasize something here that you see it. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Now that emphasis isn't in the text. It's bold. It's not in your Bible, but I made it bold for you because I want to point this out. What does it say? Jesus is Lord. What does Lord mean? He is the controller of my life. He is the master of my life. He is the supreme authority in my life. I surrender control to him. The Pharisees, the demons did not do that. So my question for us this morning, church, is have have we done that? Okay, so I believe that Jesus was a historical person. I believe that he died on a cross. 
But now have I put my faith in him and surrendered to him as Lord. So we go on. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And so when you come to a point where you acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of you. See, when I was a kid, I grew up in a Christian home. Great family. My parents loved me, taught me about the Bible. We were in church all the time. But my parents could not save me. This is one of the hardest things as a parent, as parents, we can't save our kids. As much as we want to, as much as we would give up, probably give up our own salvation that they would experience it, we can't save them. All we can do, I heard a pastor say this this week, I loved it, all we can do is put kindling around the fire. Put as much kindling around the fire as you can, if you're a parent, that your kids would experience God, right? And that's what my parents did for me. So I prayed a prayer, I didn't want to go to hell, believe in Jesus, all right, whatever it takes, I don't want to go there. So that's what I did. But I went on living and Jesus was not Lord of my life. I wasn't surrendered to him. I was doing the things that I wanted to do and then Jesus came into my heart. Jesus interrupted my life and the Holy Spirit showed up and shined a floodlight into my life and all of a sudden, I saw all the ugliness of my heart that I did not know was there. And in that moment, I was so broken, and I reached out to God, and God reached down to me, and he rescued me from my sin. And that's the moment when Jesus became Lord of my life, and the Holy Spirit's presence in there. Suddenly, there was something happening to me. I was convicted in a way that I had never been convicted before. If you look over in verse, or chapter 15, Chapter 15, there's a passage where it speaks about that he will convict the world of sin, right? The Holy Spirit, I'm sorry, verse six, chapter 16. Chapter 16, verse eight. And he, when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin. Now, Adam worked through this passage last week, so I don't wanna work through it too much, but that's what happened. There was conviction in my heart because the Holy Spirit started to work. So when you're experiencing the Holy Spirit, you should start to experience some conviction in your heart around the sin in your life. For every single one of us, there's areas of sin in our lives. Are you experiencing any conviction there? Because that is part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I can tell you over the last 20 years, there's been too many times, too numerous for me to count the times that I've experienced conviction over my pride, over my selfishness, over my lust, I've experienced that conviction because the Holy Spirit is there inside doing the work that God promised that he would do. All right. So the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us when we proclaim Jesus as Lord. So now, over the next 20 minutes, I wanna point out a few things to you about the Holy Spirit and about what God's been teaching me about him. I want to start here in this place, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. So all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I highlight this part. All scripture, all the scriptures are God-breathed. All the scriptures. What that means, 
is that all 66 books that you find in the Bible, as they were being penned, the Holy Spirit was inspiring those writers. They wrote in their own personality, in their own way, but the Holy Spirit was speaking to them, illuminating things to them, that they would write the very words of God. The scriptures are breathed out by God. I think it's so amazing that God would use the word here that the scriptures are breathed out by God because the word for the Holy Spirit in Greek is pneuma, which means breath, wind. The wind of God, the breath of God came over the writers as they were writing and inspired them to write. So this means that as we dive into God's word, God is going to instruct us through it. I'll point out another passage here in John 16 while your Bibles are open there. And we'll stay in John 16 here. Verse 12, Jesus again speaking, there is so much more that I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the spirit of truth comes, all right, the spirit is capitalized. That means it's the Holy Spirit of God. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. And he will tell you about the future and he will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. And that all that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. Do you see the unity here within this verse? The Spirit will tell you about me and what he receives from the Father. All of these things are so interconnected because God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are so connected. And there's perfect unity there. But I want to pick up on this idea. He will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit illuminates things to us. This is why we have the known journals. Those known journals, what we desire for you as a leadership is that you would pick up the word of God for yourself and you would begin to read it, understanding that the Holy Spirit exists. The one who inspired those words to be written is the same one who is illuminating them in your mind and teaching you through them. He will guide you into all truth. He will guide you into all truth. What the Holy Spirit does, the Holy Spirit has a, it's been said this way, J.I. Packer says it this way. The Holy Spirit has a floodlight ministry. And he meant it in one way, but I'm gonna illustrate it to you in three ways, all right? A floodlight ministry. So some of you, sorry, I got you in the eyes there. I didn't try that. So some of you are getting ready, right? Some of you hunters are like, oh, yeah, he's got a spotlight, right? You're going to go out. You're going to go spotting. I found something out about your, your senior pastor, Pastor Adam, that's going to earn him some man, man points back, okay, because he often talks about losing them. But he's really into deer spotting. I didn't know that because he's not a hunter, but he loves to, to deer spot, and he told me why. But anyway, he told me I could borrow his spotlight, but somebody got to it on Facebook before him. So anyway, J.I. Packer says that the Holy Spirit has a floodlight ministry. Now what you do with a floodlight, right, is you illuminate something. You point to something. No one really ever pays attention to the floodlight, right? So if you're out spotting deer, right, you're paying attention to where that light is going, right? You're not like looking at the floodlight like, oh, that's awesome, like, right? Actually, if you look into the floodlight, it blinds you, right? But you're looking to what it is pointing to. It's illuminating something. And what J.I. Packer was saying was the floodlight ministry of the Holy Spirit is to illuminate Jesus. 
right? He always points to Christ. Now, what I would say is that the Holy Spirit also illuminates in our hearts the darkness that is there, right? He convicts us of sin. He shines a light in and says, look at these areas that are inconsistent with who you are as a child of God. And then he also illuminates the text that we can see things. But Packer said this, the message, the Spirit's message is never, look at me. The Holy Spirit doesn't say, look at me, focus on me. Listen to me, come to me, get to know me. The Holy Spirit's message is always this. Look at him. See his glory. Listen to him. Hear his words. Go to him and have life. Get to know him and taste the gift of the Holy Spirit. Or taste the gift of his joy and his peace. J.I. Packer says that the Holy Spirit's role is to illuminate Christ and point to his message. It's not to put the spotlight on himself. The Holy Spirit is our guide, right? The Holy Spirit is our guide. John 16, he will guide you into all truth. Have you ever been somewhere that was totally foreign to you? Completely foreign. You had no idea where you were. You, you might know where you are in the sense like, okay, I am in the city of Boston, but I've never been to Boston before, right? And so someone, you might hire someone to guide you through the city, or you might get an Uber or a taxi driver and say, hey, I need to get to this place. I have no idea how to get there. Will you help me get there? And they will guide you. They will take you. They will direct you, right? Maybe you've gone on a, a hike before in the mountains, and you were with a trusted friend or somebody who wanted to show you something, like, hey, I know where this awesome lookout is. Let me take you there. And you start walking through the woods and they're guiding you because you have no clue. If they leave, if they fall over, if they pass out, you don't know where you're going. Have you ever been in that situation? Okay, so a couple years back, Aaron and I had the opportunity to go to Israel. And uh, so we fly over to Israel and we're on this two-week tour. And fly over to Israel, we get off the plane. It's no, we didn't go to a hotel Right? We didn't go to the hotel and kind of relax and get, get used to where we were and kind of have time to look at a map. We hop on this bus with this guy that we just met at the, the plane or at the airport in Newark. His name was uh, Ray Vanderlaan. And he's our guide, right? And so he says to us, hey, we're going to get on this bus. We're going to go out into the desert. The bus is going to stop. We're going to get off and I'm going to show you some things, right? So we get off the bus. The bus leaves. My cell phone doesn't work, Right? So now I am in, or Aaron and I are in Israel, in the desert, no cell phone service. I've never been to Israel before. I have no idea where I am. I can tell you I'm in Israel. That's about all I can say, right? And he starts walking through the desert. Now what do you do? Follow. You're the only guy who knows where he is right now, so we're just going to follow you, right? This is what the Holy Spirit does for us. He's a guide, He guides us. We trust the guide. He took us to some amazing places in Israel that we could have never found on our own. We could have never experienced those things without him, but he guided us to those. He showed us those. He wanted to teach us things. The Holy Spirit works the same way. He will guide you through. I know for some of us, we jump into the text, the Bible, and it's like, I have no idea what I'm reading, what I'm looking at, how this makes sense to my life, what is God saying? Some of you are in that spot this morning. 
What I want to invite you to do is trust the Holy Spirit as your guide. Acknowledge that he exists and acknowledge that he will guide you through this. 20 years I've spent reading the word of God. And when I started, I had no idea. But the Holy Spirit has been guiding me through the text for the last 20 years. Packer, I'm using him a lot this morning. I don't know why, but it just worked out. He has a, uh, that's the wrong quote there, sorry. Did I get ahead of myself? Or I'm missing a slide? Let's see. There we go. A simple Bible reader and sermon hearer who is full of the Holy Spirit will de- develop a far deeper acquaintance with his God and Savior than a more learned scholar who is content with being theologically correct. Like if you are diving into the scripture and and doctrine has its place, trust me, I've spent enough time on that. But if you are diving into the scripture just to be right about who God is, I just want to know and when somebody says something wrong, I want to be able to point it out to them that they missed that text or they didn't interpret it right, you're missing something. God wants to connect with you through his word. When you are someone who is listening to a message or you're reading God's word, I would say that in a heavier way. You're putting more emphasis on the word there than the sermon because I'm just a fallen guy, so hopefully the Holy Spirit is working through me. But when you are reading the scripture, when you're listening to the scripture, you can dive in and know more about God than somebody who's just trying to be correct. So, the Holy Spirit is illuminating, he's illustrating, he's pointing things out. And I guess I would ask you the question this morning, do you know he's there? Do you acknowledge his presence? All right, a couple of things that I think if we're going to experience the Holy Spirit, this is where I'm, I can't help myself, but I need to teach a little bit on who the Holy Spirit is and how we uh, work with him. So, you can grieve, you can grieve the Spirit of God. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is inside of you and you willfully give in to sin. There's that thing that, you know, whatever it is, maybe you, you cope with pressure or stress in a way that you know you shouldn't. There's some secret thing that you give into. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's you go back to the bottle again. It's alcohol. Maybe it's drugs. Whatever it is. When you act out in selfishness, when you know you should act out in love and put someone else first, right? When you willfully step into sin and say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to choose to do something I know is counter to the character of God. What the scriptures say we do is we grieve the Holy Spirit within us. We grieve the spirit that is inside of us. And when you do that, when you do that, what God, what I believe the Holy Spirit begins to do in us, you should start to feel conviction when that happens. And what the Holy Spirit is going to do is point out to us, hey, that's inconsistent with the nature of God. That's inconsistent with, for you as a child of God, as part of the family of God, that activity, that behavior, that language, that feeling is inconsistent with the character of God. Let me care for you in that. Let me guide you through that. Let me work in you in that. All right, next thing. The Holy Spirit can be resisted. The Holy Spirit can be resisted. I'll never forget this. I was at a a youth uh, retreat. 
And I had invited, I had invited a speaker to come. And so this was me. I had invited this speaker to come, and he's a dear, dear friend of mine. Now, this, this guy, he's, I would say that he has a much better understanding of the Holy Spirit than I do and has, uh, he's gone further. He's more mature. This is one of the reasons I invited him. Uh, but as he came and as he began to spoke, uh, if you were ever in a position where you invited somebody to come speak and they started sharing things that were counter or a little bit counter to things that you think or believe, you can start to get this really like sinking feeling in your stomach like, oh man, like I did this, I brought him here. And so I'm starting to think and process in my mind like my arguments against the things that he's saying. And I was trying to be theologically correct rather than sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And so I'm sitting there thinking, oh, how do I counter this? And what do I say after this? And do I believe that? Is that right? Is that wrong? And so I'm thinking, which isn't bad to process that. It's not bad for us to challenge. As you sit here and listen to me, I would hope that you're thinking and comparing and saying, wait, is this in the text or isn't it? But that's what I was doing. And then suddenly the, I felt the Spirit pushing me to this passage in Acts chapter 7. Now I have to go backwards because it ended up in my slides back here. Acts chapter 7. And this, if you are un, if familiar with the Scripture or you're unfamiliar with the Scripture, it would be a better way to say it. In the book of Acts, this is after Jesus' death and his resurrection and the early church is beginning to form and some of his disciples are beginning to share the gospel in Jerusalem. And there's this man named Stephen and he is speaking to the Pharisees about what they did, about who Jesus was and is And he's speaking to them and they're getting angry and they're just about to kill him. They're going to stone him to death. And right before that happens, Stephen says this, you stiff-necked people. Maybe if you call somebody stiff-necked, you might get a rock thrown at you, right? This is what happens to Stephen. You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised, meaning you are still not understanding the covenant that God has made with us. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. God was pushing into my heart. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Think about this for a second, church. The Holy Spirit can be resisted. In our natural flesh, we can push back against the things that God is doing, and we can say, no, I don't want that. I'm not going there. I won't willfully go along. We can resist what the Holy Spirit is doing. What Stephen was saying here was, listen, Jesus is Lord and King. He's the King of Kings. And you crucified him and they would not accept it. Have you ever been confronted with sin, but you would not accept it? You're resisting what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in your life. And so this is important for us to understand. It's important for us to ask the question, are we resisting the Holy Spirit in our lives? For some of us right now, we're walking in a season where where we're simply resisting the work of God's Spirit. We're resisting what God wants to do in our lives, maybe out of fear, maybe out of selfishness. I can't say that from here. But we need to be aware and we need to repent of that in our hearts. When I was at that retreat and I started to work on this and I started to think about what this passage was saying, I started to repent of how long I've been resisting the Holy Spirit in some areas of my life. And I needed to repent of it. And I actually went before God and said, God, please forgive me for the times that I have resisted 
your spirit's work. And I think it's healing for us to do that because we're acknowledging, all right, God, you want to work in me through your Holy Spirit, and I've been resisting what you've wanted me to do. The Holy Spirit gives us power to reflect the character of our God. I want you to think about this for a second. This is so amazing. And I'll jump way ahead here. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. The Holy Spirit of God, right? God himself, the creator of the universe, the one who shaped us and formed us, wants us, invites us to reflect his character to a broken and hurting world. And I look at God and say, God, how is that possible? Because I am so broken in and of my flesh. I am so selfish. I am so broken and sinful. How is it possible that I can reflect your character, God? How can I walk in this broken world where the enemy is constantly fighting against the church and reflect your character. And God says you can do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to look at this. This is amazing to me. So this is what we call the fruit of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is present in your life, to some degree you will begin to see these things take place. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. And some of you are looking at me now and like, I'm not a patient person, Chris. I'm not a patient person. Yeah, I get it. Like in and of your flesh, you are not. And you might not become the most patient person in the world, but you should start to see as you surrender your life to the Holy Spirit, you should start to see some growth here, right? Maybe you are an anxious person. By nature, you're an anxious person, and so peace does not come easily to you. You struggle to settle. Well, as you walk in the Holy Spirit, that should become better. I'm not saying you will get to a place where it's like mind-blowing, but it should become better for you. God can heal you in that as you begin to display the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'd ask you this question. Which one of us, who among us, does not want to reflect these attributes or characteristics? Who as parents in here, in the room, doesn't want to see your kids walk in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness? Most people I talk to say, yeah, I want to be a faithful person. I want to be a patient person. I want to be peaceful. I want to be kind. I want to be gentle. Well, this reflects the character of our God. These are the attributes of God. And it's only through the indwelling and the power of the Holy Spirit that I can reflect these attributes, that I can display them to a world that is broken and to the people around me, to the people I get a chance to walk with. And God is doing this amazing thing. Do you trust that God can do this? Do you trust? You might be an infant in Christ, and there's actually the writers in the New Testament, one of the writers actually uses that term. He says you are an infant in Christ. You are like a newborn child. You might be here this morning and say, I've been following Jesus for like a week, and I don't have this yet. Like I don't feel patient. Like that guy cuts me off in traffic, he's getting something, right? Keep going. Keep pursuing 
God. Know that the Holy Spirit is working in you, that this, he will work these things out. There's a passage in the New Testament. He who began a good work in you is faithful to bring it to completion, right? The Holy Spirit, do you trust that the Holy Spirit is working in you? Parents, an even greater one, do you trust that the Holy Spirit is working in your kids and can bring about this fruit? Oh, that we would walk in step with the Holy Spirit. All right, one more. You can also quench the Holy Spirit. This is possible. The scriptures actually tell us in 1 Thessalonians 5, do not quench. If you have the new living, it says do not stifle the Holy Spirit. So there's this warning in the text. God says, don't quench the Holy Spirit. Well, what does it mean to quench? For you, I think we're coming in, I know we've had campfire season throughout the summer, but I don't think there's any better time to have a campfire than in the fall when it's actually cold or cool out. I don't like really being around a campfire when it's 95 and humid. I don't know, call me strange, but like add to the heat, I don't know. So we come into the fall, campfire season, right? And what does Yogi tell us? Only you can prevent forest fires, right? Well, how do you do that? By quenching the fire. It's the word you can use. So when you leave your forest fire, you should put it out, right? Your campfire, you should put it out. You should quench it. You should put water on it. Well, the area where you shouldn't quench is the Holy Spirit. Don't quench the Holy Spirit of God. And you might say, well, how do I do that? We talked about resisting and grieving. And here's what I think quenching is. Here's what I think the writer is getting at. And one commentator I read put it this way, and I think it's so well put. Quenching the Holy Spirit is the arrogance and the pride to think that you can live out the fruit of God on your own. That you don't need the Holy Spirit, that you can do it by yourself. See, this was the sin of the Pharisees, right? The sin of the Pharisees was, we can do it ourselves. We can obey the law ourselves. We can pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and do it on our own. We don't need God's help. They wouldn't have said it that way, and neither would we. But when we have the pride and the arrogance to think that we can walk with God on our own, absent of his Spirit's help, this is quenching the Holy Spirit. I don't need you, Holy Spirit. I can do this on my own. That's quenching the Holy Spirit. And it's a trap that I think too many of us fall into. All right, so practical side here. How do I experience the Holy Spirit? You're all like anxiously waiting to answer this. What's the golden, like what's the silver bullet here? How do I experience? Because I want to, right now I want to experience the Holy Spirit. I want to get these tingles. All right, ready? Believe. Shocking, right? Somebody's tweeting that out right now. I can see it. Blow you away. Believe, right? Here's what I mean by this. Galatians chapter 3, I'd invite you to study this this week, and I actually want you to turn to the passage so you can see it with your own eyes. Galatians chapter 3, page 972 in your Bibles. Galatians chapter 3, and this is where we'll end our morning. Paul 
Paul writes this message, same one who wrote Romans, writing to the church here in Galatia. And he's going to say some very hard things to them. So get ready. Because he's going to say some very hard things to us, I think, as well. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? What he's saying here is who has tricked you? Who's manipulated you? Who's changed your mind about this? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. As if you'd seen it yourself. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? And then with an exclamation point, he says, of course not. What he's saying here is, did you receive the Holy Spirit because you buckled down, you white knuckled it, and you obeyed the law? Everything that God has told me to do, I'm going to do it. And then God will have to bless me. You received the Spirit Because you believed the message you heard about Christ. And that belief involves transformation. It's not just, oh yeah, we believed he was a guy who was on the cross. No, that believed was, I believe enough to put my faith in him that I would surrender my life to him. So verse three, how foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, look, look at how he puts this, your new life in the Spirit. When you came to know Christ, the Holy Spirit came and dwelled in you, and you started a new life. You were born again. As Jesus says, you can be reborn spiritually. You came to life. You started new life in the Spirit. Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort, oh Christians? How often it is that we just try by our own effort to do this thing on our own. Verse four, have you experienced so much for nothing? What a great question. Surely it was not in vain, was it? I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. It's because you believed the message you heard about Christ. Church, the message this morning is to hammer the message of the gospel into your heart on a daily basis. Pound it into your heart every day. I am redeemed by what Jesus Christ has done for me. I am redeemed because of the work of Jesus Christ. I am redeemed and part of God's family and made right with God because of my Savior Jesus, not because of the things I've done, but because of the things that he has done. And now he's given me his Holy Spirit that I can walk through this world displaying, putting on display the character and attributes of God through the power of the Holy Spirit which he graciously gave to me. Do we understand that the Holy Spirit is working in us? Our challenge this morning is don't ignore the tour guide. Don't try to walk and lead the tour on your own. Follow the guide. The Holy Spirit is inside of you. Christ has promised you, I will not leave you. And he's given us his Holy Spirit that he could guide us through this life. That we could get to the end of it and hear Jesus say, well done, welcome home. 
I'm so happy you made it. The deeper we pound this message into our heart, the greater sensitivity I believe that we will have to the Spirit's leading. And I will end this way. The more that you die to yourself, the more you'll begin to see the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. The more that you will begin to see the Holy Spirit's work in your life. If you right now are struggling and you're in a place of maybe just wandering, like, God, I don't feel like you're here. I don't know where you are. I don't understand. And you feel so distant from God. Let me just give you this promise that God is not distant. He is near to you. His Holy Spirit is in you if you've received Christ. If you're in a season where you can't seem to overcome sin, there's a sin in your life that's conquering you, that continues to conquer you, you continue to struggle with it, I invite you to press into the gospel and recognize and ask, invite the Holy Spirit to illuminate to you God's work in you. God does not want us to waver God does not want us to sit in unbelief, but wants us to know for sure that he is working and that he will finish what he has begun in us. One of the things that it talks about here in Galatians chapter 3, verse 5, he says, I asked you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Or is it because of the Holy Spirit? God is working miracles. For the church, we often think that miracles are only like huge, like faith healings. Like that person had a cancerous tumor and we prayed over them and that tumor is gone. Surely this is a miracle, right? No doubt. And these things God is doing. But I would suggest to you, it is also a miracle. And we miss these miracles of God, right? When a person who is a sinner and selfish by nature changes and suddenly becomes a humble person who serves others. I've seen it in my life. God's done it in my own heart and I've seen it in plenty of other people. It's a miracle when a person who is impatient suddenly starts to walk in patience. It's a miracle when somebody who has a great amount of anxiety suddenly begins to walk in peace. It's a miracle when someone who is double-sided or always stabbing someone in the back suddenly becomes faithful. That's a miracle. It's a miracle of the Holy Spirit working in us. But we miss those miracles because we're always looking for the amazing thing. We want God to part right, the Conestoga Creek when it floods. Part that thing so I can just drive through there because I have somewhere to go. And God's saying, let me work a miracle in your heart and give you patience and peace and I'll divert you around and rather than cursing under your breath, you will bless me. It's a miracle. May we walk knowing that the Holy Spirit is working in and for us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much. I cannot thank you enough for the Spirit's presence in our lives. Father, my cry to you is that we would yield to your Holy Spirit, that we would surrender to the work that you want to do in us. Father, make us mindful and aware of what your Spirit is doing in us and what you are doing around us. Father, may we walk in the fruit of your spirit. May we put you on display. 
May we shine a light like the Holy Spirit does on our Savior. May we fix our eyes on Jesus. Father, this morning, for those who are in dark places, for those that are hurting, feeling lonely, feeling lost, Father, I pray right now that your Spirit's peace would come over them and upon them in such power that they would know that you are for them. We bless you, God, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.